0: So, folks, I'm here with uh, Daniel, uh, how do you say your last name? Grusso. Grusso. Just like it looks. Just like it looks. Good deal. And what do
1: you do at GitLab? I am a product manager and I focus mostly on the infrastructure and operations features of GitLab. So, everything that has to do with our Kubernetes integration, serverless, all of those things, and everything that um, supports um, operators in their day-to-day jobs. Good deal.
0: Good deal. Now, typically our podcast episodes are like an hour long, but we only have the room for a half hour. So we'll see how long we go. um, And then maybe we'll get you on adventures in DevOps or something for a longer discussion. Okay. Sounds good. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed... Makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. In fact, we had, I think Priyanka Sharma was our first guest on that show. Oh, nice. So yeah, so uh, lots of good stuff from GitLab. Um, What we're talking about here, there were a couple of things. One was... um, uh, at least what your PR folks reached out to me about was um, developing in the open. And then there was a developer report that was released. That's right. And so um, let's just start with developing in the open for a minute. So GitLab, is it all 100% open source or just parts of it? Or how does that work?
1: So we work on an um, open core model. So okay. we have two distributions. We uh-huh. have a community
0: um, edition. Which, which I has, have set up on a server.
1: <laughs> that's right. So that's uh, open source, 100% free. Right. Um, And then we have in Enterprise Edition, which is our second distribution, and that's an open core model. So the source is available, Uh but you need a license to operate. Okay, gotcha. And uh, so that's kind of on a custom license. And um, so that's kind of the software part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also work entirely in the open. So um, most um, open source projects have their code available. And um, a lot of the work that they do may not be available, like the features that they're working on the roadmap, the vision that they have for a certain feature. So all of that at GitLab is 100% open. So you could go today and see what my team has on the roadmap. You could drill down into an issue and Mm -hmm. even chat with the developers, the product
0: people that are working on building a certain thing. All right. So um, that's really interesting because a lot of companies don't do that. I'm I'm curious what you see as the trade-offs between the the different models.
1: Uh, Yeah, so it's definitely... uh, it, it, it definitely comes with some challenges. I right. think that uh, one aspect of having everything out in the open is that you will get uh, opinions from everywhere. And the easier <laughs> that you make it to, to contribute, uh, the more feedback that, that you right. get. So basically navigating through that noise mm-hmm. kind of becomes
0: a skill. And you have right. to like learn where to look and where not to look. Um, also, I think that... Yeah, you're um, on the internet, though, so I'm sure, sure some of it's... <laughs> Interesting.
1: Yeah, sure. Exactly. So we like we spend some time on, on, on Hacker News, kind of uh, giving feedback to the community or right. uh, answering questions or maybe clarifying certain things that may not be 100% right. Gotcha. And things like that. So we, you make it easy to contribute. And that's one part of it. And the second part of it is that you have to be a lot more diligent in keeping everything up to date. Right. So be, because kind of if you have a problem statement out there that is old and it's not mm-hmm. updated. And you have a, a community member that says, hey, I want to solve this problem. I see that they have this laid out. And then they are kind of contributing something that you know will not work. Uh, the responsibility falls on you to make sure everything's up to date. All right. the communication devices that you use are updated. And uh, basically that the information is on the hands of everyone. Right. That's what we call that a low bus factor. And that is if you get hit by a bus today... Would the team have
0: correct information and could they
1: continue to to work? Right. So we try to keep that bus factor low.
0: Yeah, we we discussed bus factors at several of the uh, jobs that I had in the past. Yeah, that's definitely something that's important. Yeah. So are there things that you, I guess, miss from having a closed model or not having such a public conversation?
1: (laughs) Well, I I think that um, like on my prior companies, uh, most of the work was private. And I think that... um, I mean, I don't want to say that that makes you more lazy, but you are definitely uh, have a stronger sense of urgency when you right. work in the open. Uh, so when you work in private um, and you work, let's say, with a co-located team, it's easier to uh, provide that information in a verbal way. And if you don't have a lot of written down information or you know, a common source of, of information for, for the whole team, it's kind of less work. Right. Um, but I, I think that still the benefits um, outweigh The fact that when you communicate with a smaller group, it's
0: easier. That makes sense. So, uh, if if another company wanted to try this model, uh, let's say that they're an established company, they've been doing it, you know, in kind of a closed loop for a while. um, What recommendations do you have for them? Where's the pain going to (laughs) be? Where are the payoffs going to be? Yeah, that's a good question. How do you get started?
1: Um, So, um,
0: I think that when you have an open source
1: project you kind of have a leg up because you're probably distributed right right that probably means that you have um, a higher standard for how you communicate you probably Mm -hmm. write everything down you probably have um, like processes that are very established and you have given a lot of thought to to them so i think that you if you have an open source project it's especially uh, beneficial i think that Three things that we found that work very well for us is uh, one is keeping a single source of truth. So a lot of teams disseminate information amongst various systems. Mm -hmm. So you don't know which one holds the truth. Right. So I think that one thing that we do is keeping everything updated on the issue uh, that we're going to work on or the epic or Mm -hmm. whatever that vehicle may may be. Right.
0: Right. So then if there's... um Conflicting information, that one is the one that you...
1: Exactly. You should always know where to look if you see Uh a conflict of information. You know, well, I look in here and I know that this is always kind of up to to date. Um, Because we work asynchronously. So Mm -hmm. GitLab has around 800 people across six continents, about 50 countries. So not all of our uh, communication is in real time. So Mm -hmm. we make sure to write everything down. Uh, for example, we do have a synchronous uh, meeting where we meet over Zoom. We have Zoom set up to automatically record them. Right. And we have a script that automatically upslows them uh, to uh, Google Drive. So we'll drop a link. Can I get a copy of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we drop a link of the meeting in the issue and saying, so we right. came to this conclusion based on this conversation. And that'll be a link right. to the Google Drive meeting. So that's one thing that that, that we do. Um Another thing that that we do is that we paste Slack uh, conversations that led us to a decision in the uh-huh. issues as well. So chat, it's kind of very uh, low friction. So if you have a question, you right. kind of gravitate uh, towards chat. And sometimes on a channel, you will ask one person a question, and you'll end up with 10 people participating and like a very cool solution to a problem. Right. So instead of you know putting all of, uh, like we put a summary, but we also copy and paste that into the, the issue thing, to right. make sure that you have context. Uh, so some of, th- those are some of the, uh, of the things that, that we do. So I think that uh, communicating uh, is very uh, important and finding that context is very important.
0: One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker, I don't want to deal with Kubernetes, I don't want to deal with setting up servers, I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Harrington from the Food Fight Show, and we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show, where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at Adventures Podcast.com. So
1: I would say that giving others con- uh, context is very important. And that's some, something that I think we do well. And I think that lastly, um, it's having a low barrier for others to be able to contribute. Mm-hmm. So if you want to chime in, I shouldn't have to put you through like hoops and signing documents and stuff like that. It should be easy for you to, to do that. Right. So we've kind of tried to do that as much as possible
0: so everybody can chime in. That's awesome. Man, now I want to start a remote teams podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, actually our
1: uh, former VP of product, his name is Joep. He has a remote uh, work podcast and he um, interviews people from different companies yeah. and stuff like that and best practices and things like that. So that's a very good resource. We have a, like a bunch of uh, pages in our handbook about working remotely and things like that. And so that's kind of one um, aspect of it. But I think that working on it in the, uh, in the open, uh, if you're a remote team, you have
0: uh-huh. a, a leg up right. over ev- everyone else. Basically. Right. Because you're already communicating over the Internet. That's right. That makes sense it's just a fascinating concept um well let's talk about this uh developer um report that you put out
1: yes so we are in our third year of doing this uh developer survey Uh and uh, i brought some of my notes here just to where do people find it first uh so if you simply google "GitLab 2019 developer survey it'll come right up right and you can download it it's uh about 20 something pages Uh, and uh, basically it's about four thousand respondents and they all share their experiences and they help us uncover uh, about things that are working things that need work areas of improvement and things like that so uh, the big takeaway uh, this year was that teams that adopt um, kind of mature and strong DevOps practices um, earlier Mm -hmm. uh, are um, experiencing greater benefits like security and uh, basically being able to innovate at a faster rate. Right. So a lot of teams that are uh, getting started, things like security and things like uh, basically having uh, easy environments to, to test with and things like that, it comes after they have kind of built and shipped their, their, their projects. So having all those things built in from an early stage has really benefited. Right. So that is one aspect of it. Uh, another aspect is that continuous deliveries on the rise. So here we see forty-three percent of people said that they continuously deploy. I'm working on that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and forty-one percent said that it happens between once a day and once a month. So you know that yeah. used to be a lot different. If you mm-hmm. like, just go five years back, uh, having once a month or once a quarter deployments was a lot more common. So I was yeah. really surprised to see how that has, has rise uh, so fast.
0: Yeah, I remember staying up all night for the once a quarter deployment, right? Absolutely. And uh, like that broken build on a Friday um, afternoon. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, we're going to deploy. We're going to wait till after work on Friday. You know, we'll we'll buy everybody pizza. And and, and it's funny, too, because it's like it it should only take an hour because we know it'll work. That's right. Yeah, that's right, yeah, exactly, so, yeah, right, uh, right. That, that um,
1: hour for a lot of people turned into the weekend, right? Yeah, and, pretty much. Uh, yeah, and uh, trying to fix things that they didn't account for and things like that. So doing it more continuously, I think that has shown people that you find problems faster, is low oh, risk yeah. and things like that. So that was really great to see. Um, so just on, on the topic we were chatting about uh, prior, we saw that remote teams outperform on-site teams, Really? So, yes. Yeah. So basically, with the respondents, we see that um, developers in a mostly remote environment are 23% more likely to have good insight into what their colleagues are working on. Basically, here we see that on a rate, uh, let's see, their organization practices uh, tend to be 29% higher than those that work in a traditional um, office setting. So. Security, I think, is more at the at the left, so basically baked in with your development mm-hmm. process when you're all remote and when you're in an office. Uh, right. Basically. So that was a big one as well. I think that security for us, we have seen this be, become a very hot subject, uh, especially with buyers of our licensed product, like most right. of the security features are licensed, and that a lot of times is the number one topic that they bring into a conversation. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's interesting too. I mean, you mentioned that they're uh, more productive, um, there's kind of a hot Twitter thread right now going on where people are talking about 10 X engineers. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. I have. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny because uh, I was thinking about it and I was like, well, some people are just more productive than others. You know, I don't know if it's 10 X. And then I realized, you know, what? a lot of it has to do with environment Absolutely. and the way that their team is organized and things like that. I mean, you know, you might have a 10 X engineer um, you know, so to speak in, in your company and it's just because everything aligns nicely with the way that they think and work. And then, you know, you have somebody else there that you're comparing them to. And yeah, they're 10 times less effective and you go put them in this other company and they're going to thrive there. And so I think it's interesting, you know, talking about this, you know, remote teams are more productive. It's like, okay, you know, what, what are the reasons for that? Why does that work that way? And you know, the same thing with the security, it's like, you know, what is it about having a remote team that makes them more mindful of that? Yeah. So there are a couple of things there. I think that, um, one thing that we do is that people choose
1: their own hours. So mm-hmm. even if we both live in the same part of the country or you know in the same state, it doesn't we, we mean should that we should move in next door to each other. <laughs> right. It doesn't mean that we're both expected to work like a set of hours. Right. Uh, so that's number one. I think that I I've, I've seen a lot here at GitLab that developers are more productive. Uh, when they work let 's say uh, I see a lot of uh, people work a party in the morning and a part in the evening, mm-hmm. and then throughout the day they sprinkle like family things, personal yeah. things and things like that so number one that prevents them from having to attend meetings that at other companies they would deem as mandatory right. here we don 't really have uh set meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I think that that's a huge plus. So we try to make all of those uh, decisions asynchronously, e- even right. on an issue or Slack. And when we see that something is going too long, we may set up like a Zoom meeting and things like that. But uh, I think that that lack of meetings for sure makes people more more productive. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so that's number one. And number two is that, yeah, they don't have all the distractions that you have in an office. So in an office, when you came to work, Maybe you came to work at nine, then you know you go get coffee and you chat with your peers and you get interruptions and all of these things. So I think that of a given day, people might have like 50% of time where they where they can actually dedicate to work. Yeah. Uh, and in product, that's even worse because a product manager just has meetings pretty much 60% of the day. Right. So making time to do work is uh, it's tough. So at an all remote company, that it's kind of a great benefit that you get mm-hmm. to choose the time that you work in. And we don't measure the um, hours that you put in, but rather the
0: output of your work. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. In fact, when you were talking about how they were more productive, I almost tried to interrupt you and say, hey, I have a quick question. (laughs) Because that was the bane of my existence working in an office. It's that tap on the shoulder that makes you context switch
1: multiple times throughout the day and just takes longer to solve problems that way.
0: Yep. And uh, yeah, my hack for that was I put my headphones on when I was trying to get dedicated work done. And people would come up and they'd get my attention, and I'd just be like, <laughs> "I just and, and this is audio, right?" So I wag my finger at them, and then I'd point to my headphones and basically be like, "Not now, yeah, you know, come back, you know, thirty minutes or something, right?" Yeah. So just like that headphone hack, uh, a lot of people in my prior
1: workplace would have, like, I, I don't know if you've been to this restaurant called uh, Bubba Gump Shrimp? There, it's in like in Florida, and it's all I've seen it. theme. And when you want the waiter to come, uh, you switch your card to run, force run. Uh-huh. And if you don't need them, you swap them to stop, force to right. stop. And it was kind of the same deal here. They would have some card on their desk yeah. to, to the effect of do not disturb me, I'm in the middle of something deep. Right. So, yeah, so working remotely kind of
0: eliminates all of those things. You know? Yeah, yeah, it does. You should set yourself to a way on Slack yeah. <laughs> and then they know that if they send you a message you're probably not going to reply. That's right. Yeah. So
1: that's one thing that we stress here is that the only immediate response that you should expect is if if you call someone on the phone. Right. If you know if you slack me, don't don't expect an immediate response. Uh, same if you mention me in an issue or even right. send me an email, you know, all of those things should be asynchronous modes of, of communication.
0: Yeah. And see I have a remote team that helps me with the podcasts and we use Discord. And it's the same kind of thing, right? It's like they they know I'm here. They, you know, even when I'm at home, you know, they know that I may not always respond right away. And that's just kind of the way that we work. And it's it's really, it's really convenient. I'm I am curious though, how how does the remote um the remote setup correlate then to the security thing?
1: Well, so I think that um in a lot of co-located teams, mm-hmm. if there's no um there's kind of an agreement on the work. And then as we evolve the work that we do, then we think about uh, security. Right. So here, when you work uh, remotely, what I've seen more is that if, you have, uh, if you're given a problem to solve, mm-hmm. um, you're not going to think as a group about security later. You're going to think about the problem that you're solving now and all the aspects around it. And oh, interesting. S- uh, Security being one of those. So from from the get-go. You have to start thinking about those things um, instead of later, you know, convening with the other work that your team is doing and then having a chat about security. Right. That
0: makes sense. One of the things that I have as a goal for DevChat.TV is to cover technologies that are up and coming. Things that we're probably going to have to deal with on a more regular basis in the future. Some of these include AI, VR, and one of them is blockchain. So I reached out to one of the experts that I knew, Gregory McCubbin. And we pulled together a few other people and we've started a podcast called Adventures in Blockchain. So if you're looking at blockchain as something that you may want to work in, something that you're curious about learning more about, or something that you just want to keep current on until you have the opportunity to make a career jump and go over and work in blockchain and crypto, then definitely check out Adventures in Blockchain. You can find it at adventuresinblockchain.io. So was there anything else interesting that you wanted to highlight in the report?
1: Uh, well, so here we see that uh, around security, again, uh, we see that roadblocks are still um, abundant in the development practice. Meaning? Uh, meaning that software professionals recognize the need for security to be baked in, but security teams feel that uh, developers are not doing it enough to focus on security.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And we see here that 69% of respondents agree that developers are um, expected to write secure code, but 68% of security professionals feel that less than half of developers are able to spot vulnerabilities in their code compared to security teams that look at that same code at a later phase of development. Right. Um, so, yeah, security is just such a huge topic right now. And uh, so ha- having that as early as possible in the development process, I think, has really helped us. Um,
0: and that makes then, sense. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit curious on that one, too, just, I mean... Yeah, I think I think the expectation's there that you're gonna write secure code, but then I don't really see people getting trained on how to write secure code.
1: Yeah, you're right. And that's um I think that it also depends very much on the kind of project that you're working on. That's also another common concern with working out in the open is security. You know, if you oh, have yeah. my code base out there, it's more vulnerable uh for people to try to crack it. Um So, yeah, there's kind of a couple of different ways that we solve for that. And one is that we have this value at at GitLab of boring solutions. Mm -hmm. So, like choosing established technologies to solve the problems that That we solve instead of like the newest and shiniest technology and things like that. So, that's number one. And number two, we have a bounty pro, uh, program that we started not too long ago that has already paid over $200,000 in bounties. Oh, wow. And uh, so that's kind of leveraging the, the the community to help you get in front of
0: all the security problems. You know? So that has been huge as well. That makes sense. I, yeah. I like the boring solutions idea. It's just that, yeah, I mean, people have been beating on this for 10 years or 15 years, 20 <laughs> right. years, yeah. right? Yeah, so and it's if it always... has a
1: huge community behind it, yeah. you know, and uh, like a lot of... Uh, a lot of companies that work at scale use it. It's probably, there's probably something there.
0: You know? Right. The the hot new framework, they're still adding features. They haven't even addressed some of these things. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I think uh, Dan McKinley
1: talks about innovation tokens and how you have a limited set of tokens and you should use them sparingly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we see that as well. There are other frameworks like for front-end. Uh, we used to use one, and now we switch to view j s yep. so those things that uh, they have steam and you see them kind of lift off so there's something uh, you know uh, behind that too, and you should discount it,
0: but it should be sparingly yeah yeah we've had uh gitlab, GitLab people on our view j s podcast oh, as nice. well so yeah we have some really talented you do people you there. definitely do. Um, I've also seen a few of them stolen away to like Netlify and stuff. So. Oh
1: yeah, that's yeah. yeah, it's a common thing when you work in the open and people yeah. see the quality of your work. Oh yeah, and so it's uh, I, th- I think that you know it yeah. should be where you're the happiest, but that's definitely a
0: thing. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I love that idea of just you know going with something that's bulletproof, and that's not to say that you can't innovate, you know, or use innovative technologies, but yeah, there's a certain level of of risk or unknown that is there that is not there with the the proven stuff.
1: Yeah. So another um, example that I can think of that is uh, Kubernetes. When we started making bets on Kubernetes, it was still early Mm -hmm. and it was still like not the winner um, of the container uh, wars. And uh, so those kind of bets, you should still make them. You should not put all of your eggs in one basket. You should still make them. But, you know, as I said, kind of sparingly.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one thing to go out and understand the technologies as they're coming up. It's another thing to go, you know, build your whole infrastructure and move it all over to Kubernetes before it's ready. Absolutely. yeah. And that's, yeah, one thing common with Kubernetes is that people think that it will solve
1: all of their problems and we should move to it immediately. I'm still waiting. (laughs) And a lot of people are, yeah. And and you're right. It's not right for everyone
0: to do something just because kind of there's a trend and the market is moving towards one place. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, it is. You know, especially in the position that GitLab's in. I mean, I think it'd be almost irresponsible for you to ignore it, right? Sure. You need to understand it, but that doesn't mean that you're going to go and build, like I said, build your whole infrastructure on. Yeah, yet. so
1: that's uh, that's that's exactly how we felt with serverless. It's uh, like we've had enough um, appetite from users saying, hey, you would be in a great p- uh, position to do this. When will we see kind of a serverless feature and things like that? So that makes us... Um, kind of um explore a certain mm-hmm. feature and then from that we, you know we'll build an MVC start getting feedback and just build upon on top of that yeah. right um so another thing that that came out of the survey is that the maturity of devops models is is improving and so um overall we see that devops has been kind of this very hot word for for a long time but adoption of more mature practices uh, is on the rise and those are things like Uh, thinking about security earlier, having more uh, ephemeral environments where people can test things and try to break them and Mm -hmm. things like that. So those that use uh, mature models are 1.5 times more likely uh, to innovate and three times more likely to discover security vulnerabilities earlier on their pipeline. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah. So there are still developers who report uh, poor DevOps implementations, which the report shows leaves organizations 2.6 times more likely to uh, encounter red tape that slows down all the effort for quick fixing of those security problems.
0: Interesting. So how was the survey conducted?
1: So uh, we surveyed over 4,000 software professionals uh, from January 23rd to February 27th. Um, And this is, uh, you know, basically all asking you about... um, what practices do you currently follow? What areas do you feel you can improve? What areas do you feel you're doing well at? And things mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, so that was basically it.
0: Interesting. So you just send this out to your email list or to your users? or So there's a sign up for it, yeah. So we,
1: I, I think that we publish a website and mm-hmm. then we uh, communicate about the survey on social media and through events and things like that. And people are invited to sign up and take the survey, and year over year, we seen that there's a kind of higher number of people take the survey. And I think that that, that has to do also with kind of people now knowing more what GitLab is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, no longer do we get a lot of oh, GitHub, but you're GitHub, right? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're we're now more right. of, of an uh, established name, uh-huh. and people recognize us a bit
0: more. So I think that that has uh, helped for sure, kind of increase that number. That makes sense. Um, how does this inform what you're doing at GitLab? Well, so I, I think that uh, a lot of the the features and roadmap
1: that we worked on is informed by uh, user feedback. Perhaps not specifically by by the developer uh, report, but that's certainly part of it. So we see that a very common theme with security. So you know we'll probably invest more in right. uh, strengthening some of those features, but. Uh, because we work out in the open, uh, one of the benefits is that we get feedback from real world real world use cases about how people are experiencing certain problem, how they're working around it, and that informs a lot of the things that that we do. Um, so that's another huge benefit of working out in the open. Uh, so I, I would say that it's a combination of things. So right. there there are. Um, categories that we know that we want to to work on and we want to bring all these new things like chaos engineering for example is one that my team is set to work on this year um that one may be one where we don't have a lot of community feedback on Mm -hmm. saying hey i would love to see this in GitLab," but it's something that we know that we want to uh innovate on and we are in a good position to to do that so that's part of it as well kind of innovation
0: and moving forward with market right that makes sense very cool. So what, what are you hoping to get out of OSCON this year?
1: Well, so uh, so far, uh, great keynotes. I really want to uh, kind of see how all things cloud-native are evolving from a community standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, what projects are interesting that we may uh, be um, able to leverage at GitLab, uh, and what kind of practices as well. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, hoping to learn more about uses of uh, like new serverless technologies like uh, Knative. Right, So that, that is something that we support at GitLab. I would love to uh, learn more about real world use cases of those newer things right. that we kind of have a hard time with uh, people adopting something that may not be V1 or GA yet, mm-hmm. uh, but yet there are people out there in the real world that are, have some, some very cool use cases. So I want to learn more about those as well. Um, and I also want to see more and more how people are deploying their cloud native apps so common things that i look for are uh you know how do you structure your your security uh implementation when you use kubernetes Um, how do you deploy and that is you know the model where you may use one namespace for pre-prod environments right but then in the same cluster do you feel that it's secure enough to have a production environment on it and things like that Mm -hmm. so things like that i find very interesting And I find that informing, um, uh, that informs a lot of the things that we want to build for um, our user base.
0: Cool, we're just about out of time. One thing that I'm curious about too is just, uh, you know, if people want to follow this kind of uh, progress from GitLab or from you uh, online, where do they find it?
1: Well, so you you can find me at Daniel Grusso. That's G-R-U-E-S-S-O. That's both on GitLab and Twitter and pretty much everywhere. But if you want to find out more about the developer uh, report, the easiest uh, way is to go to our homepage, and that's about.gitlab.com. And uh, right there on the homepage, you'll find the link to the developer uh, report uh, towards the bottom of the page.
0: Right. Uh, So you can access it there. Cool. Well, I I can kind of uh, give a short testimonial for GitLab because I use it for a lot of my stuff, and I, I really, really like it.
1: Oh, that's great. Um,
0: and, and I love the DevOps tools that are built into it. Just, you know, it's like, oh, it just ran my CI for me. And I, I really didn't have to do very much at all to set it up. So, you know, it, it makes a lot of things uh, really, really easy. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, and it's a cool project. The, the UI is pretty intuitive, has a lot of the features that you would expect from something like GitLab or GitHub. You know, it has feature parity in a lot of ways with, you know not everything but a lot of things and uh yeah so it's it's a cool project glad to hear it
1: yeah so we tried to make those uh those workflows easy and we tried to provide best practices out of the box so yep. i'm glad to hear that it kind of has worked out well for you
0: yep very cool well uh let's go ahead and wrap this up and uh yeah we'll see if we can get you on uh, adventures in devops all right thank you charles bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn